Amen. Well done, Ma. I'm glad I knew you before you're famous. Amen. Amen. Uh, could someone please help me with the people? But thank you so much. Amen. Well done, Sunday School. Uh, really, really blessed. You guys blessed us um, this morning. I'm sure there is a, a prize for each of you guys. <laughs> Amen. God is good. And all the time. Amen. This time the Sunday school can be dismissed. Yes, we both we call it the great evacuation. Amen. And welcome to all our visitors. Amen. You don't slip past our radar. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Keenan. Amen. It's been a blessed week. Um, and I'm just glad I made it to Sunday. Amen. Amen. When, when you ready, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And how has your reading been going? Who's been following us with the book of Acts? Come, give me an amen. Pick up your hand. Give me. <laughs> Look, uh, a couple of weeks ago we had a quiz and my heart was breaking terribly. I was literally giving away, away prizes for free. So, um, how many has read the book of Acts once through? Don't be shy. Give me a... You never know, there might be a prize. You, you never know, just give me once through. Okay. Anybody read through it twice? One and a half. Three times, a lady? Anybody? Ah, man, guys. Uh, I'm on my fourth reading now, guys. Please, don't, don't let me be all lonely out there. Okay, we're in the book of Acts. I'll encourage you, if you have not done so, please download the Bible app by Life Church. Pastor Craig Grusho uh, in the States, a brilliant app that helps keep you in track with your reading. Uh, when you download the app, yes? Just download the U version. The U version. Okay, download the U version. And uh, please look for me, send me a friend request that's similar to Facebook. Um, and then uh, let's become friends and let me track your progress. Amen. <laughs> Amen. This is our fourth part in the series. We're talking about the chain breaker. Amen. He's still in the business of breaking chains. He who the Son says free is free indeed. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty in which you've been set free. Amen. Amen. He's the great deliverer and great savior of the world. We're in Acts chapter 16, and I'm just going to ask for your patience this morning. I'm going to read quite a few scriptures from verse 16. Acts 16, reading from verse 16. It is my favorite chapter in the entire book of Acts. Now it happened as we went to pray. That a certain slave 
girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by her fortune telling this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying these men are the servants of the Most High who proclaim to us the way of salvation this woman was not lying or this girl was not lying she was proclaiming the truth and this she did for many days but Paul greatly annoying turned and said to the spirit notice he addressed the spirit and not the little girl she says I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and he came out that very hour but when a master saw that their hope for profit was gone they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities and they brought them to the magistrates and said these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach us customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods and when they had laid many stripes on them another translation says and when they had been severely striped they threw them into prison commanding their jailer to keep them securely having received such a charge the jailer put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks but at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed and the keeper of the prison awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open supposing the prisoners had fled drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Remember we spoke about some time ago the devotion and loyalty of the centurion and yeah. Roman soldiers. Yeah. They would rather fall on a sword and die yeah. than break Roman law or allow prisoner to escape. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourselves no harm, we are all here. This is obviously not South Africa. <laughs> Nobody escaped, can you imagine? For he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were with him in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately him and his family whole household were saved and baptized amen. amen amen god bless to us precious reading of his word can we pray heavenly father we want to thank you that you've given us the promise of the spirit the holy spirit is with us right now the author of the scriptures 
and that Lord he is able not only to move upon us but touch our hearts move within us as he did many many years ago when he brooded over the waters and face of the deep confront us this morning challenge us convict us and change us we pray anoint my lips to speak as thus saith the Lord in Jesus mighty name amen and amen thank you so much Kenley I needed those doors closed brother <laughs> amen amen hallelujah I mentioned previously to you that the book of Acts unfolds and the narrative unfolds in a geographic way it unfolds in the exact same way that Jesus had predicted and promised it would unfold in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 Jesus speaks to his disciples he speaks to over 500 brethren and women in one setting being resurrected from the dead he speaks to them and he says don't leave Jerusalem wait in Jerusalem for John baptized you with water but not many days from now you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and not many days from now you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth so the narrative in Acts unfolds in that way the gospel is preached and the church is established in Jerusalem then the gospel and the church is extended into Judea and Samaria the gospel spreads and then the the gospel is expanded to the ends of the earth God had always had the nations on his heart. He chose a particular peculiar people, the Israelites, to be the custodians of his covenant. But the reason why Jesus came was to tear the veil and create out of two nations or multiple nations, one man to bridge the divide between Jew and Gentile. That's why when he spoke to Nicodemus and when he said to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. Don't just read that from a Sunday school traditional way of thinking. He was speaking to a Pharisee. Someone who was an expert in the law. And he's reminding Nicodemus that God's plan and God's love was not just for you and the special Jewish race. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. That's whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He spoke to his disciples in Matthew 24, and he said, The gospel of this kingdom must be preached as a witness to all nations. Then the end will come. He commanded him in Mark chapter 16, he said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. The problem was when they received the Holy Spirit and when they proclaimed the gospel, they got comfortable in Jerusalem. So comfortable 
that God allowed persecution to come their way. And had it not been for the persecution of the disciples and believers, the gospel may have even stayed in Jerusalem. God has always had a heart for the nations. Psalm chapter 2 says, <coughs> the Father speaking, David writing prophetically, he says, the Father speaking, Yet I have set my king on the holy hill of Mount Zion, and I will declare a holy decree. And the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. The ends of the earth for your possession. That's why Isaiah proclaimed in chapter 60. He said, arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold... Deep darkness will cover the earth, and darkness will be upon the people. But the Lord your God is risen upon you, and his glory will be upon you, and the Gentiles and nations will come to your light. The kings will come to the radiance of your dawn. God always had the nations at his heart for the whole earth, Habakkuk chapter 2 says, will be filled with the glory of the knowledge of God as the water covers the sea. And so what we see in the book of Acts, we see Jesus being proclaimed. The central message of every disciple and every preacher was Christ. It was Jesus. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23, he says, the Jews sought for a sign, and the Greeks sought for wisdom. But we preach Christ and Christ crucified, who to the Jew is a stumbling block, and to the Greek foolishness. But to those who are called both Jew and Greek, he is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Don't just talk about Jesus. Talk Jesus. Don't just expound and elaborate on the principles and laws and the do's and don'ts of Scripture. Talk about the person. Don't talk concepts, talk the Christ. I'll never forget the greatest lesson I ever received in Bible school many years ago. We had a veteran minister in the gospel sit down to us. And he must have been in his 70s or 18, 80s. I may even be understating his age. He was fully gray and, and frail. And for that hour, all he did was quote the scriptures. We were shocked. How can a, a man at, at this age quote chapter and verse? He had incredibly sharp memory. And for an hour, all we did was write down the scriptures and the references. And then at the end of the lesson, there was this Q&A. And so I'll never forget this friend of mine, Theo, asked this pastor a question and said, Pastor, what would you say was 
the guiding principle or the one truth that you've lived by in all your life, one thing that you can say was the reason for you, for your success and impact in ministry. And pastor turns to Theo and said, son, don't get it wrong. It wasn't a principle. It was a person. It was a person. The principles mean nothing without a relationship with the person. The blessings of God mean nothing without a relationship with the blesser. And it's sad that sometimes as preachers, we get caught up in the protocols and the principles and sometimes we fail to project the Christ. I'll never forget um, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, always teases away when we talk about missions or evangelism. I say, hey, you know, Billy Graham was away on mission for six months, didn't come home. <laughs> say, hey, sometimes discipleship is a cost. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but Ruth Graham was this, was this solid, grounded woman of God. And uh, I'm going to get to my message, <laughs> chasing a rabbit. And she's this strong woman, and she's witnessing to this, to this Hindu lady. And this Hindu lady says, but, but Ruth, why should I become a Christian? You know, you Christians are all, all hypocrites, you know. Um, look at preacher so-and-so that, you know, look how he fell from grace. And look at that preacher, and look at that Christian. And Ruth Graham had to remind and said, ma'am, I'm not offering you Christians. I'm offering you Christ. I'm offering you Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So we don't come to church, particularly for people. You know? We don't go to church. You know when you've lost your passion and your flame for God is when church becomes a social matter for you. We come to church to give him praise. Because it's our culture as Christians. We do church. (laughs) We do church. And so the central message in the book of Acts, you can read it through, had always been the preaching of Jesus Christ. He was the main subject. Almost in every sermon you would hear about how he has risen and that he's alive and that the tomb is empty and that the heavens must retain him until the coming age and that our hearts are full, that he lives inside of us. Christ and him crucified was the subject on every Christian's tongue. That's why when you, when you witness these days, I've seen as believers... We get our approach wrong. You know? And it's good that we say, come to church. But when people are going through a struggle, we don't always have to say, come to the church. Because sometimes they come to the church and they don't like the songs. And they don't like the preacher. The preacher has a nasally voice like mine. <laughs> you know? And they don't like the seats. They don't like the environment. But if you preach Christ, 
and you preach him crucified. Where is the fault in this man? Well, Pilate said, I have found no fault in this man. Preach Jesus first. We'll talk about the church thereafter. <laughs> Present church. Present Christ. Christ was the central message. The most dominant power in the church of Acts was not the power of, of persuasion or technology. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Family, it's not going to be by our ingenuity, our strength, our creativity alone. That is good and God uses that. But never forget that it's not by might, nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. God always confirmed his word with signs, wonders and miracles. God always worked through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still God's method. You can talk someone blue in the face, trying to get them to change. And I speak about my wife's uncle. Um, you know, he makes me worry sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes you think, hey, this uncle of ours is, he reminds me of a jihadist sometimes. <laughs> and he's, he's so radical for God. And sometimes hey, I even have to avoid him. <laughs> He'll keep you up. And for years, for years, his parents and the church and the family were praying for him and praying for him and speaking to him. And, and for years and decades, maybe 20 or 30 or 40 years went by and nobody could reach this man. And one day, he comes into the office, a changed man. I'm like, how? Uncle, what happened? Said, no, I flipped on YouTube and I heard a Spanish gospel song. And the, and the Holy Spirit came out and I wept and I came out to Jesus. I'm like, a Spanish gospel song. It wasn't even English. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit pricked his heart. God, um, uh, the Holy Spirit is still the greatest evangelist. Yeah. You'll, you'll think of methods. You'll think of ways. A man, he'll, he'll use fleas or cockroaches or ticks to bring you out of Egypt. He'll use anything to bring you out of Egypt. So whatever you do, whenever you're trying to reach people, always remember the dominant power will always be the Holy Spirit. Not words of persuasive human wisdom. But Paul says, I preach in demonstration of spirit and power. The central message was Jesus. The dominant power was the Holy Spirit. And the key witnesses were the disciples. God was looking for men, ordinary men and women, to do extraordinary things and sometimes we forget that yes we hold our leaders to a higher standard i'm held to a higher standard and every preacher and leader is held to a higher standard that's what the scripture says brethren not many of you should aspire to be teachers you know because the judgment is more strict but also never forget that we people helping people to know god and what auntie deirdre did 
this morning, I had to do a few times. I don't know if you really remembered um, uh, Jesus the Rock when we were there. One of the hardest things to do, family, is to come up here and preach after you've had a fight with the wife. Because <laughs> 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 you can be quoting as many scriptures and you can be moving in the power of the Holy Spirit and yeah, your wife's just looking at you, you bugger, I'm going to get you off the church. <laughs> we are people, ordinary people that God uses. And we're here to help each other. Amen. In fact, uh, a newlywed told me a few times, he said, hey, brother, whenever you ask me to preach, hey, it gets rough in the home. <laughs> it's like the powers and principalities of darkness. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> God uses ordinary people. Amen. And the scriptures reminds us that Elijah was a man of like passions, just like you and I. Bible says we are co-laborers together with Christ. Whenever God wants to do something in the earth, He refuses to do it without people. Yes. Without God, you cannot. But without you, God will not. He chooses to collaborate with you and I. Don't ask me how He does it. Don't ask me how He'll use a good old Bevan. But I'm telling you, God can give a straight blow with a crooked stick. Amen. The principal target was the world. The principal target was the world. The world was the mission of God. The central message was Christ. The dominant power was the Holy Spirit. The key witnesses were the disciples. And the target was the world. You don't, you don't come to church just to hear the gospel. You go from church to tell the gospel. Every miracle and every time God you moved in the book of Acts, it wasn't done in the synagogue. It was done in the streets. And when the miracle was done in the streets, the people were brought into the church. And I'll tell you, uh, and I'll tell you again, I'll remind you, that shepherds don't give birth to sheep. Yes. It's all of our responsibility to bring one. Everyone is part of this kingdom. Everyone is responsible to do the work of an evangelist. And so when we get into the book of, of Acts, Acts can be divided and categorized in many ways okay from chapters 1 to chapter 6 you have the church that's established in Jerusalem then from chapter 7 to chapter 12 you have how the church grows and and, and is extended in Judea and Samaria and then from chapters 14 to 28 you see how uh, the church expands into the Gentile world, to the ends of the earth. But perhaps one of, my, uh, of the easiest ways to divide the book of Acts is that between Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 12, you have Peter, who is the main character and apostle. 
between those chapters. And if you read Galatians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul says that God worked in Peter, who was an apostle to those who were circumcised. In other words, he was an apostle to the Jews. He says he also works in me, who is an apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, And so we have between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 12, where Peter was the main character, main subject, main apostle, who is the apostle to the Jews. And then from Acts chapter 13 to 28, we have the book speak almost exclusively about Paul. And he is the main subject. And he is the apostle to the Gentiles. And it's an interesting, interesting take on how God works. Because here's Peter. Peter's a fisherman. When the Pharisees and the scribes had Peter before them and John, he was like, I perceive these men are uneducated and untrained. They were rough around the edges. They didn't study and go to Bible school. They, you know, they were tradesmen. And so Peter wasn't educated. In fact, Peter in his second epistle says that the letters that Paul writes are but difficult to comprehend. <laughs> this is the puzzle, Peter. And then we have Paul who is a Hebrew of Hebrews. Someone who described himself as, as being a Pharisee concerning the law. He was an expert. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a renowned Jewish teacher of the law. He kept the law from, from young. He excelled at a very young age. He was so passionate about the, about the law that he persecuted the church in his past life and dragged him off to prison and arranged for their death. And so here we have an uneducated apostle sent to an intelligent people, the Jews. And here we have an intelligent apostle, Paul, sent to the Gentile world. It's funny how God can get us out of our comfort zones. Because I would have said, no, Paul, you go to the Jews. Since you know everything about the law and you're sophisticated and you're knowledgeable. But no, no, no. God said, no. I'm not going to use you in the way you think I'm going to use you. I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone and put you in a place where you're uncomfortable. And sometimes that's the place where God can use you the most when he shakes you out of your comfort zone. Amen. And so when we get to Acts chapter 16, there's a few interesting things we must know. Luke is the author of, of Acts. But it's not until Acts chapter 16 that Luke is part of the narrative. You'll see a pronoun he uses in Acts chapter 16. And you'll find it in verse 10. This is the first time this pronoun is used in the entire 28 chapters. It says, now after Paul had the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Now Luke includes himself in the team that Paul had. 
in taking the gospel to Macedonia. So now we know that Luke is with Paul and Luke is with Silas and Luke is with Timothy. Because if you read in chapter 16, and this is what I love about six, chapter 16, this is the first time that Timothy is introduced into the life of Paul. And Timothy was a true son in the faith. He was a protege of the apostle Paul. When he writes to, to the church of Ephesus, he said, no one has my heart like Timothy. And that's what, that's what leadership, I think the main thing about leadership is, is it's not enough just to know the vision and work towards the vision. You've got to carry the leader's burden. You've got to carry the burden of the leadership. And the burden of this leader is that we will come up higher. The burden of this leader is that we will grow and mature to all aspects of Christ. Amen. Amen. And so in chapter 16, Paul finds Timothy, his spiritual son. In Acts chapter 16, Luke joins the team of ministers. In Acts chapter 16, the gospel is taken for the very first time into Europe. Very first time. And so Paul has it in his heart to go to Phrygia and Mysia and Troas. And the Holy Spirit keeps on resisting Paul and saying, no, don't preach the gospel here. Then Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here, come help me. Come help us. And then Paul says to the team, we've got to make our way to Macedonia. This was the first time the gospel ever moved out of Asia Minor and into Europe. Because God had the nations on his heart. And when he gets into Macedonia, Paul was very, very strategic. <coughs> he finds the, the city that's buzzing the most. <laughs> he finds the capital of Macedonia. He finds the place where there's, there's traffic and there's trade and there's business. And so he finds the city Philippi. That's where we get the letter to the Philippians. He finds the city of Philippi. And when we talk about, about apostolic ministry, I was, I was saying this to Prophet Angela in the week, you know, nobody talks about this anymore. Is that part of being apostolic is being very strategic and Paul was very strategic about where he took the gospel and so he takes the gospel into Philippi and he's met with a woman who was a Jew Lydia and Lydia hears the preaching of Paul and Lydia is converted and Lydia's baptized, and the whole household is saved. And Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman. And then Lydia says, Whenever you're here, you can have church in my home. And many theologians speculate that the church started in the house of Lydia, the church of Philippi. And so Paul's having this revival in Philippi, this revival in Macedonia. And then there's this little girl who keeps on nagging and, and persisting and proclaiming every time she sees Paul, say, saying, this is the servants of the Most High. 
They've come to point us the way of salvation. And the Bible says she had the spirit of divination, but in the Greek, it does not say that. It says she had the spirit of Python. Oh, Greenville, you know where I'm going with Python. <laughs> but the spirit of Python, Python was the guardian to the temple of Apollos. Apollos was the Greek god of prophecy. And so, and so this little girl was a priestess from the, from, of Apollo. And she had the spirit of, of Python. And after many days, Paul, it took some time for him to come, come around. But I guess after a while, after being agitated in his spirit, he knew this was the time. And he pointed to her and addressed the spirit. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave this little girl. And so Jesus, the demons knew. Paul, they knew. And at his word, she was delivered from that moment on. Now the interesting thing about Acts chapter 6 is that when this happened, Paul was met with opposition because uh, her masters used her for profit. Now you must understand that every time Paul was persecuted for the gospel he preached, it was by the Jews. The Jews persecuted and beat and flogged and stoned Paul on countless occasions. This was the first time that Paul was met with Gentile opposition. First time that Gentiles are persecuting Paul. And this time, it's for a different reason. The Jews persecuted Paul because of their religious convictions. The Gentiles persecuted Paul because of cash, because it affected their pockets, and because it was not customary to the laws of the Romans, because Philippi was, was a depot of Rome. And so Paul and Silas are brought before the magistrates, and they are stripped half-naked, embarrassed, and then severely beaten. And after being severely beaten, the magistrates told the jailer to guard them carefully. And so what the jailer does is, the jailer puts them in the innermost part of the prison to give them special attention and then puts stocks and fetters around their feet. And it was, and it must have been a cold, cold night. And Paul and Silas must have been met with so much so much uncertainty about how the proceedings would go. And here they are, arrested, beaten, ostracized, persecuted for proclaiming the gospel. <laughs> the first thing I want to say about this is that when you find yourself in a difficult position, Find yourself in that position because you've obeyed God. What do you mean, preacher? Don't be found in trouble with the law because you obeyed, you disobeyed, really disobeyed the law. A 
and you were caught with your fingers in the cookie jar. Don't be found in trouble with the law because you were genuinely insubordinate. Because you abused the powers. Peter says, I think in 1 Peter chapter 3, brethren, if you go through trials, let it be because you've done something good, not for evil. And so to hear of Christians being arrested for fraud and, and Christians being, being arrested for, for, for schemes, and that should be foreign from our camp. Don't be found in hot spots because you behave like an unbeliever. And Paul and Silas found themselves in trouble with the law because they disobeyed God, because they disobeyed man and obeyed God. And if you remember your, your reading in Acts, Peter proclaimed from the onset when he was brought before the Pharisees and chief priests, he says, Brethren, we would rather obey God than man. And it's sad that in these times we live in that all kinds of wickedness and lawlessness can be associated with the Christian. Paul says, let not these sins even be named among you. Second lesson we can, we can grasp from Acts chapter 16 is that when Paul and Silas found themselves in prison, found themselves stripped naked, beaten with chains around their ankles, they turned themselves to prayer and worship. The best weapon they had was the weapon of worship. <coughs> when you find yourself in a difficult place, don't turn to murmuring. Don't turn to complaining. Here they are in prison because of obeying God. And obeying God got them in trouble. And instead of clenching their fists towards God, he said, why did you allow this to happen to us? They turned to themselves, themselves to prayer and to praise. Do we still have those kind of believers and Christians among us? That when you've lost your job, you don't turn to depression. You turn to praise. That when you get a, a negative report or someone's gossiping about you, you turn to praise. Instead of wallowing in a pool of self-pity, you get down on your knees and you give him praise. Your best weapon in any circumstance will always be prayer and praise. Some of us find it so difficult to praise in under good circumstances. I mean, the culture is sitting on a soft. There's a roof over our head. In the comfort of our home, we struggle to praise. 
And here Paul and Silas are beaten, abused, stripped naked, cow, nipples on show. Prisoners looking at these two madmen, beaten almost to a pulp. And here they are singing hymns to God. And they're looking at these two men like, what phenomena is this? What enigma is this? When you have every right to throw in the towel, when you have every right to complain and blame God, yeah, they are praising Him. It was a contradiction to the understanding of faith and worship. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that we are spoiled. We want convenient Christianity. We want a comfortable walk with God. If the, if, if, if the sing, one singer's out of tune or key, we've, we've got the hills about it, you know. If the worship band the, the, of the team is not full and we don't have a trumpeter and we, and we don't have someone playing the harp or the violin and, and the guitarist is hitting off, we've got issues with that. But I'll bet you, if we have a full band up here one, one day, every Sunday, the church will be full. And there'll be a problem with that. Because right now, with, with the little we have, we can't get our praise on. Come on. Wait, I'm getting the praise and worship either. <laughs> and here's the flip side of the coin. Is that if you only praise and worship when you're in trouble, then you're in trouble. The only time you know when to turn to God is when things are going bad. When things are going bad, then we see you in church when things are going bad. Then we see you in the prayer meeting. Then you're reading your scriptures. If the only time you open this book is when you're going through hell and high water, you've missed the message. Reassess your relationship with God. Don't wait until life knocks you down on your knees. And I know God uses those moments. And I know God sends trials and persecution like a loving father. He sends it. He sends it. And here we are blaming the devil. He sends it so he can get us down to our knees. But if that's the only time we're going to worship, if that's the only time we're going to get our praise on, if that's the only time we're going to work on our relationship with God, then we're going to miss the train each time. That's what the scripture says, pray without ceasing. And I spoke about this last week. Those who, who came to the faith continued steadfastly in fellowship and in the and in apostles' doctrine and teaching. They were committed. They were consistent because it's only consistency that produces momentum. It's only momentum that creates a force and an impact. There's no impact for the gospel when there's no momentum. There's no momentum when there's no consistency. Consistency is, is currency. We've got to be committed in our worship. We've got to be committed in our relationship with God. The last thing I'm going to say for the sake of time is that their praise and their worship and their praying not only helped them, but it helped those 
around them who are looking and observing. There's always someone watching. Always someone watching. And you know what joy it brings to me? When I hear Madison singing one of the songs we sing in church. And you know, I don't know if you saw that status the way put up one time. Um, when the harpist was here and Layla and, and Ma Madison were doing this ballet, <laughs> these ballet ninja moves in the front, and they were dancing to that song called uh, Yahweh. And so we're in, the, in our lounge and we have the YouTube music rolling and the song Yahweh comes on. And there Cameron and Charlie are like, No one taught them this, but they're watching. Your children, your children are watching your level of commitment. Your children are watching your praise. They're observing the way you pray. You don't just serve God for yourself. No, you serve God for the sake of the generations to come. Stand in the gap. He said, I'm looking for a man or woman who will stand in the gap and be the bridge. I'm looking for someone who will be a watchman on the post. But, but the gap man, but the gap woman is never filling the gap. And the watchman is never on the post. And our kids and the people around us see this. Do you know what church we will have every Sunday? If we came excited. If we came full of joy, full of praise, we didn't come to be worked up. We didn't come so that the atmosphere can be set, so that our worship can cut through the atmosphere. No, we don't wait for the iron to be hot to strike. We strike to make the iron hot. We come here not to hear fancy sermons. No, we come here to give God our praise first and foremostly. We don't come here to be served. We come here to serve Him with our gifts, with our talents, with our voices. Can you imagine how the Holy Spirit will move here each Sunday if we all lift up our hands, singing and giving Him our 100%. And God rebuked, I'm going to close this, God rebuked the children of Israel in Malachi. He said, when you come with your, with your offering, He says, you, you come and you present the lamb and the goat, a goat that's sick. He says, you present to me an offering that's lame. And that's sick. This is not the requirements of the law. You bring the best offering. He says, go and take that offering and give it to your governor. And see whether your governor will accept that offering. Your governor will refuse and take it as an insult. He said, yet you come to the house of the Lord and you think this offering is acceptable. I'll tell you, we give our wives and our spouses our best. We give our kids the best. We give our, our CEOs the best. But we don't give God our best. We don't give God our best. 
if we give him our best he will handle the rest God is looking for a man or woman encounter you're looking for an encounter with God but God is looking for a woman or man encounter he said if you draw near to me I will draw near to you touches the move you make the move first you make the move first and every chain that has you down I'll break can we stand he'll break every chain over your life if you give him your best Paul and Silas found themselves in a predicament they found themselves in a situation outside of their control and when their praises went up they sung hymns to God and here's an interesting observation I knew is that they actually knew the words of the song they memorized songs you know, and I tell my kids, learn the songs. You know, all the TikTok songs. You know, Adele, you can sing Adele word for word. And I tell some of my friends, you know, all the soccer players' names. If I ask you to turn to the book of John, you're in the Old Testament. Let's give our best to God. Love the Lord. This is a challenge this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul with all your mind give him your mind give him your thoughts give him your depression give him your anxiety walk with him daily every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before you've got to be consistent you got to you got to walk with him on a daily basis to get to experience the benefits because the scripture says, worship the Lord God and forget not all his benefits. You ought to walk with him so close that you begin to sound like him. That when you walk into a room, it's as though he walked into the room. Heavenly Father, change us. We repent. We ask for your forgiveness. We haven't been praying as we ought to pray. We haven't been praising as we ought to praise. We haven't been as consistent and committed as we ought to be committed. And yet, Lord, we ask from you the best. We ask from you for miracles, yet we're not even able to do the least.